Climbers, in my last episode, we discussed non-negotiable success, which means you are willing to fail until you find your path to success as an artist or songwriter. Now, we're going to deep dive into the psychological effects of failure. Here are 10 surprising facts about failure. Welcome to the Climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. The more leverage you have, which means the more they need you and the less you need them, the more success you're going to have. Everybody that wants to help you, that needs to help you get to the next level is going to come out of the woodwork if you focus on leverage. That's why we call it the climb. C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. That's genius. That's a Baxter name. Hmm. That's from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who is an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. And what I love about Brent is he's all about helping you, the songwriter, turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro, do business like a pro, and on the regular, when it's time, you can be connected to the pros to create those mission-critical relationships for your success. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns a Daredevil production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it's complicated, but thankfully, Johnny's got a big old brain. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production, singular, no S, and there's no S because there is no other Johnny D. Hey, brother. Hello, hello. You know, I want to go back and see when the first episode was that I ad-libbed, there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. I, I want to say like it was like in the first 10. <laughs> I don't know. I've been saying that for a long time. Maybe. I figure it took us a, little, a few more episodes to Maybe. get us tried. Who knows? Um, yeah, well, that it definitely did. We're still working on that. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like it took us a little bit longer to do that, man. Today, we're going to talk about <laughs> failure, man. I, got, I just found this article that I want to share with everybody. So I'm going to read some from it, but it's just so good. Like when I read it, I was like, wow, this, I was doing show prep for the last episode. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, this is cool, man. So we're going to get into that. But first, let's take care of some business. Join the Climb community, yes, which is at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Climb community. This is a community of your peers, not your consumers. <laughs> this is singers, songwriters, indie artists, indie musicians, and it's an active group. They're in there helping each other, asking questions, getting answers, creating co-writes, even international co-writes that have success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brent and I are in there. We're sharing stuff in there that we think might be important. I just shared an article there on how songwriters get paid. I had a couple people respond to that, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. If we think it adds value, we'll put it in the feed there. And this is a place for you to shine where you get to share your, hey, man, you got gigs coming up. You got wins you want to talk about, new music you just released, whatever. We want to hear all that. There's a certain place for it guess what it's not the feed so don't put it in the feed and you won't get roadhouse but we are roadhousing people (laughs) because you know why we care about this community and we protect our community from 
all spam and no jam. We want all jam and no spam. Right. right. So, Which, by the way, speaking of Roadhouse, I hear that they're remaking that. They are. Movie. It's 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 like the best worst movie ever made, and I just I feel like the idea of recreating that is probably a mistake. Uh, it's probably so. Even with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Hall and because else. I can't figure out why I like the original <laughs> movie so much, but the reality is that I do like, <laughs> <laughs> and it might be because of the actors. Right. And if they're replacing without those, which they, they don't have a choice. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. If Patrick Swayze has, has left us. Then I just, uh, I don't, uh, it's not going to have yeah. the same charm. I think it's not going to be. Yeah. Cause if it's good, that's not the charm the first one had. <laughs> Goodness sakes, I know. The first one's not a classic because it was good. So if it's good, you're like, oh, that was good. It's kind of disappointing. Yeah. And if it's bad, it's got to be just the right flavor of bad. So who knows? Anyway, thought it. I was I thinking know. about that. Yeah, I know nobody should, God bless him, but nobody should ever do a new version of Pure Country, right? Because that was another like really bad movie that. Oh, kind of like watching. It's so good, so it's good. <laughs> it's so quotable, so quotable, so you know good. That anyway. White speck on top of a pile of chicken shit. Well, that's that chicken shit bet. too. <laughs> <laughs> that guy never says anything, but when he does, it's yeah. just like a value bomb. So good, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm dancing chicken. So listen, join the community. We, 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 you got to ask me let in, but we let everybody in. What were we going to say? That's right. Oh, I was going to say, I almost, I thought about naming an old publishing company, Dancing Chicken Music, off that line. Yeah. Anyway. And I've stolen that. I've stolen that, the Dancing Chicken. We've talked about it so many times yeah. on the podcast. It's like, yeah, no, I mm. get that. The yeah. Dancing Chicken. That's where I learned how the Dancing Chicken worked, actually, from that movie. So it's educational. Thanks. Exactly. Wins we want to talk about? <laughs> yes, we got a few wins. So every Wednesday, we post the New Heights post in the climb community it's when we encourage you to share your wins with us we want to hear about them so we can celebrate with you and people do celebrate with each other in here which is super cool yeah uh, randy england says i have four new co-writes lined up with legit good artists i met playing nashville writers rounds the last month good job. so he is getting out there he's making connections and apparently his music and his personality and his songs are are resonating with these artists and like hey we should write sometime so, which is a beautiful thing that people love hearing. And so, congrats, Randy. Uh, so yeah, hold on. Wait, wait. Congrats to Randy. And I love that he put in there, this is the wins, and here's why. Mm -hmm. Because I've been doing these writer's nights around town, right? Exactly. Like, so, yep. so, good for him, man. Yep. See, I have a win. I have, at this point, it'll be out a couple weeks, but I just had a single come out in Australia on Australian artist Ben Gunn. And a song called Down Highway 1 that I wrote with him and with Climber and Songwriting Pro member Andrew Cavanaugh. Andrew was nice enough to bring me in and explain all the Australian lingo in it. He actually made a cheat sheet for me so I could understand what <laughs> we were talking about. I'm not sure why I was there to begin with. But you need to know what a Shayla means? <laughs> so it was, you know, it was like your, your togs, your swag, your falcon ute, all that stuff. So now I speak... A little, or at least I understand a little more Australian, but somewhat more fluently in Australian. <laughs> yeah, so it, it it at the time of this recording, it has already dropped. It, it's had a really strong start, so hopefully it'll do well and is somewhere up in the charts by the time this episode drops. So thank you, Andrew Cavanaugh, for inviting me into that room. Thank you, Ben Gunn, for recording it and releasing it. Thank you for radio spinning it, and hopefully it'll it'll climb to the top down under. So nice, yes, sir. So. Today, we're talking about failure, and it's something I know a little bit about. Yep. 
Surprising things about failure. Do, how many of these involve whiskey? <laughs> On the front end or the back end? <laughs> I don't want to talk about that because that would make me have to face my own realities. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, just, hey, make sure you guys follow the podcast and tell a friend about it. Okay. So let's get into this yes. thing. So we all know that we're going to have to fail to succeed. I think if you're a climber, we've pounded that in your head for the last six mm-hmm. years, almost seven now, by the way. Failure is an integral part of success. Yeah. And so we all know that we're going to fail more than we succeed, which is why success needs to be non-negotiable. That's what I talked about in my last episode. But here's the thing. I don't care who you are failing. Even small failures have a very real and a very definite psychological effect on the conscious and unconscious brain, Mm -hmm. which feels icky. (laughs) yes when i was doing show prep like i said before for my last episode i stumbled across this and these kind of blew my mind and i thought it'd be a killer episode so let's get into all these surprises and i think my intention with this is that when we're better able to understand why we're feeling what we're feeling with regards to failure Mm -hmm. it'll help us number one survive failure better because we have perspective Mm -hmm. we know what's going on and we have like Mm -hmm. a thirty thousand foot view of what's happening and we know it's not the end of the world right yeah and number two more importantly it'll greatly decrease the subconscious and conscious fear of failure Mm. that we have so this is the article here it was in psychology today that i found it and it says 10 surprising facts about failure it's not whether you fail or why that matters but how you react to it okay hey man that's all i need to know yeah so but yes tell me more there you go so failure is always a demoralizing and upsetting experience always Mm -hmm. you cannot always control whether difficult things happen to you in life but you can control to a large extent how you react to them failure makes your mind trick you into believing things that aren't true Mm -hmm. unless you learn to respond to failures in psychologically adaptive ways They will paralyze you, demotivate you, and limit your likelihood of success going forward. Mm -hmm. That's huge, right? I'm going to say that one more time. Yeah. Unless you learn to respond to failures in psychologically adaptive ways, those failures will paralyze you, they'll demotivate you, and they'll limit your likelihood of success going forward. In other words, the failures win, Mm -hmm. right? So psychologically speaking, the most important thing to do after a failure is to understand its impact how it affects your thoughts, your feelings, and behaviors. Here are 10 surprising facts about failure that will help you turn a difficult and painful experience into a potentially constructive and useful one. Dig it. So these, man, when I just read this, it kind of blew my mind. So number one, failure makes the same goal seem less attainable. Yeah, because, okay, so I had this goal of getting a record deal and the first label turned me down. So now it feels less attainable, that kind of thing. Yeah. So in one study here, people kicked an American football over a goalpost in an unmarked field and then estimated how far and high the goalpost was. People who failed estimated the goalpost as being further away and higher than those who succeeded, <laughs> right? Okay. Isn't yeah. that strange? So, so in other <laughs> words, like failure automatically distorts your perceptions of your goals and makes them seem more unattainable. Mm-hmm. Note the word distort. Yes. Your goals are just as attainable as they were before you failed. So it's only your perceptions that changed. Yeah. 
right? And you can choose to ignore these new perceptions and you should, right? Mm -hmm. So indeed, changing how you view your goals is not the only way in which failure distorts your perception. So I just, I like that one there because it's like, wow, you know, nothing changed, right? You're, it's still just as attainable as it was before, mm-hmm. but you feel differently about it, don't you, right? Yeah. And we have to remember that and to tell ourselves, man, nothing changed here. I just, I swung out. I'm going to get another at bat. Mm-hmm. So failure also distorts your perceptions of your abilities. Mm, okay. So much as it makes your goals seem further out of reach, failure also distorts your perceptions of your actual abilities by making you feel less up to the task, as it were. Mm. So I'm an idiot. I'm a loser. I'm, I suck at this. Yeah, I can't be a songwriter. I can't be an artist. Like, you know what? Like, I thought I could do this, but I don't sing as well as I thought I did, and I just don't have the impact and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Once you fail, you're likely to assess your skills, intelligence. I mean, I think, Brent, in your response, you hit all these, right? Like, <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. because it's the knee-jerk reaction we all feel, right? But, yeah. but once you fail, you're likely to assess your skills, intelligence, and capabilities incorrectly mm-hmm. and see them as significantly weaker than they actually are. So knowing this and correcting for it in your mind is important because by making you devalue your abilities, we move on to number three, failure makes you believe you're helpless. Mm, oh, that one. Right. Now, I mean, just think about people out there who actually have been at one point or another helpless. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could be like a traumatic experience or something like that. Or maybe you're just a baby. Yeah. Which is how, but, but I mean, you congratulations. Know, like, we have all overcome being helpless. I think like sometimes it gets amplified or you attach this like failure to that feeling of helplessness, which brings mm-hmm. up a bunch of other shit in your life that you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is never something I want to return to. Yeah. Cause there was like real trauma there. Real, real trauma. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 And so I just want to sort of articulate this stuff to make people think about it, right? So one of the most common and strongest feelings people have after failing is helplessness. Mm-hmm. Failure, failure, this is important here. Failure causes an emotional wound. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Failure causes an emotional wound. Your mind responds to this wound by trying to get you to give up so it doesn't get wounded again. Mm-hmm. It's the best way of getting you to give up is by making you feel helpless. So that's what the mind does, right? Your subconscious brain. And by making you feel as if there's nothing you can do to succeed, your mind might avoid future failures, mm-hmm. but you'll be robbed of successes as well. Yeah which is why you shouldn't always listen to your feelings, right? Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. That's so good. We got to make a t-shirt that says that. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, uh, so that's not the only way that your mind can work against you. Number four, a single failure experience can create an unconscious fear of failure. Mm -hmm. A single failure experience can create an unconscious fear of failure. And I would I would go so far as to say it that it more than likely does create that, and unless you process it and think about it consciously, it's still there, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't you, you don't exercise the demon, as it were. Right. I would just add that. Remember, 
bravery is not lack of fear. Mm -hmm. Bravery is being fearful and doing it anyway. That's right. So that's not an out. Just because you have a fear of failure, it's not, there's no get out of jail free card. That just means now is the time to be brave. Courage moving forward in the face of fear. Right. So some people are convinced that they have a fear of success. Brent, how many times have we talked about this on the podcast? Yeah, I, I think it's a little hidden. I don't know if people know that, but I think it's a real thing. And well, it manifests itself in a form of like we call it imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Like the higher they climb up the ladder, all of a sudden they're in a real writing room or mm-hmm. they're having a real gig or they're talking to real people in the music industry about their artist career. And we start to become fearful. Yeah. But check this out. They don't have a fear of success. They have a fear of failure. It's the higher of the ladder you climb, the more visible failure becomes, mm-hmm. right? Because if you bomb out at uh, Joey's Crab Shack on a open mic on a Thursday, who knows and who cares? No one's there on a Thursday. If you have an awful moment at the, I don't know, the CMAs, people see that. Yeah, that's a lot of people think. <laughs> right? That's a good way of putting that. Yeah. By the way, this is this part you just mentioned that it made me think of this. This is so prevalent what I'm about to read, and so very, very real, even with pros, mm-hmm. that they record all of the national anthem performances for the Super Bowl. Okay. Every artist lip syncs the national anthem. Oh, okay. They've already pre-recorded it mm-hmm. for that reason, right? Because that's a hard song. That's a very difficult song. That's <laughs> not and fear of and, and and it avoids the fear of failure, right? It, maybe it doesn't seem genuine to you, but actually, I mean, just think about it. If you get a little sick or mm-hmm. a little this or a little that or something like that, and you're going to be in front of like a billion people, and it's not like you're singing at the rhyme in a room that's been like tuned, right, or whatever, or at Blackbird Studio. Like this is a stadium. Yeah. Good sound quality, making sure you can hear yourself the best is not their highest priority. Man, that's that's real too. I remember this one club in Florida. It was in Ybor City in Florida, which is like this little part of Tampa. And man, it was such a reflective room. When we would do sound check, it was holy crap. <laughs> Without people there, it was really hard. You had to fully concentrate on what Am I listening to the kick coming off the kick or am I listening to the kick coming off the back wall? Mm. Like you had to really kind of focus to because it was so reflective. It was so much. It bounced around so much. It got confusing. Mm. It was hard. So, yeah, uh, that's a good point. So some people are convinced they have a fear of success. They don't. They have a fear of failure. The problem with most with most fears of failure is they are unconscious which means that you're not actually dealing with whether the fear is real or reasonable or likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means, because if you're dealing with it, you're in your conscious mind, right? Yeah. Which then means that you're also not addressing how to increase your likelihood of success. <laughs> right, exactly. You're not Because it's yeah. not conscious, right? Yeah. So you're just trying to avoid feeling bad if you fail. Man, I had a guy tell me one time, a good buddy of mine, one of my best friends ever, and he moved to Nashville to do the music thing too, and he and he's back home now. But one thing he said was like, if I never really try, I never really fail. Yeah. And you're like, wow. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that is, wow. Okay, yeah. That's that fear of failure going, I have an out. Well, I never gave it everything. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. That's right. I had so, more in the tank. Hey, you get to write home to mom and say you never failed. Good for you. It's like, right? yeah, you know, I just did some other stuff. Not, I put it all on the line. It just didn't happen. Yeah. It just didn't happen. I tried everything. It just, no, that's a lot more painful, I guess, than could have. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So this unconscious focus on avoiding future failure rather than securing future success, again, unconscious focus, right? It leads people to act out. Number five. Mm-hmm. Fear of failure, fear, excuse me, fear of failure often leads to unconscious self-sabotaging. Johnny, I have failed less times than Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. That's right. That's right. You think of all the Super Bowls, I have failed less times than Tom Brady. He has a higher fail rate than I do. Just pointing that out, not to brag or anything. Or Babe Ruth. Yeah. As far as, yes, I have not struck, I have not struck <laughs> out or th- as many times as Babe Ruth or thrown as many interceptions as Michael Brett Favre, yep. not missed nearly as many free throws. Yep, that's right. One of the most saying, common ways, what's that? Just saying, not to brag. Yep. Yeah, that's right. One of the most common ways people try to buffer themselves against the pain of future failure is by self-handicapping, mm-hmm. creating excuses and situations that can justify why they failed, like going to a party the night before an exam and claiming they were tired or hungover, developing psychosomatic symptoms such as headaches and stomach aches that made it hard to concentrate, or magnifying a small crisis, that's put in quotes, right, Mm -hmm. such as the need to spend two hours on the phone with an upset friend to justify why they were unable to prepare for a job interview, right? Yeah. These kind that we talked about that in your last episode here last week, which is like you're doing all that stuff that is not urgent important, or important, and it's not <laughs> urgent, right? Yeah. And emails and all kinds of crap to seem busy mm-hmm. because you're really and what you're doing is self sabotaging. You're not focusing on what you really need to focus on, which is something that's going to move you closer to that moment where you could possibly fail. 
Yeah, or part of that might be uncertainty. I'm not sure exactly what I need to do to succeed. So I'm, I know how to check email. Yeah. So I know how to do that. I'm not sure. Or I'm avoiding the uncomfortable, difficult work that I know it's going to take to actually get where I want to go. It's a lot easier to do something else right now. I'm avoiding. I'm doing my laundry. Yeah, exactly. And so these kind of behaviors often turn into self-fulfilling prophecies mm -hmm. because they sabotage your efforts and increase your likelihood of failure. Amen. So another reason you need to recognize such unconscious fears is that number six, fear of failure can be transmitted from parents to children. Deutsch. So here's one that's like number one for for parents, obviously, you go like, oh, God, you don't want to do that to your kids, right? But right, yeah. I think for a lot of us, we have to think, too, like your I want parents them to embrace might have been inadvertently done it to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so which is not an excuse, by the way. Which is not, right, an, not excuse. an excuse. No, it needs to be examined. <laughs> right. right? And, re and I, think, like, I think for some people, when they kind of realize, like, oh, okay, that's real. That really happened. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not going to use that as an excuse not to move right. forward. That's not my ticket out, right? Right. Now I just understand more why I think the way I think and feel the way I feel mm -hmm. because this was kind of foisted upon me by my parents. So studies show that parents who have a fear of failure can unwittingly transmit it to their children by reacting harshly or withdrawing emotionally when their children fail. Mm. Thus conveying to them, often subconsciously or excuse me, unconsciously, that failure is unacceptable. And this, of course, raises the stakes for their children and makes them more likely to develop a fear of failure on their own. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of somebody very, very close to me that I know grew up in a household that had it was that like failure was if you failed at something you it was a catastrophe right mm. there was a tongue lashing there was vitriol and therefore this person is just kind of frozen as an adult well you know what i mean school the american school system yeah it tests you and you fail or what do you know what do you not know you don't get i mean in real life we learn we don't fail. Either you win or you learn, right? It's not, you mm -hmm. don't really fail. You, you learn how to do it a better way or whatever, but in school, it's not set up that way. So you learn to like, okay, just if I can only be tested over what I know that I know and not learn by mistakes and like you do in the real world, you, you're not allowed those mistakes in so much of school. So I, yeah. And it's, it brings like a personal story of mine, like in, Seventh grade, start to get into sports, right? And I try out for the basketball team. I make the basketball team in seventh grade. Super fun, right? That might have been some of my earliest experiences, kind of in like an organized scholastic type mm -hmm. team thing. And eighth grade, I don't make the team. Mm. I'm cut. I'm cut from eighth grade basketball, dude. Uh, right? Yeah. And I'm just embarrassed i'm mortified i happen to have this kid that was just a douche about it too right that of course that lived down the road with me just a total jackass Those and are the worst now yeah i go home and there's probably one or two ways my parents are going to deal with this right uh this is probably a good time to let remind you that dad's uh johnny's dad is a marine yeah, yeah right not a former marine because there are no former marines there are no former marines His so dad at is, this point yeah. it's he can, but, but I want to express both sides of it because I mean, maybe your parents are the kind of parents that were like, 
they're going to chastise you for that, right? Or mm-hmm. they're going to make you feel bad about that. And and if that's the case, then that could be why you manifest some of this excessive behavior, excessive profound reactions, you know, negative reactions to failure that are maybe debilitating to you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad's like, and I come home, I'm mortified. I, I, I don't, can't remember feeling that bad in my entire life. Like, it was terrible. And he's like, well, mm-hmm. what are we going to do about that? Like, we got to fix this. Like, clearly this is important to you. I'm like, yeah. So I joined a summer league for basketball. He spent a lot more time playing basketball with me and teaching me that unlike what your coaches tell you in school, that basketball is, is not a physical sport. It is absolutely a physical and contact sport. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so he would teach me how to block out and everything like that. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, freshman year, the very next year, not only on the basketball team, I'm starting, right? Because <laughs> and because even though my shot sucked and I was good for maybe four to six points a game, I had so many rebounds. I was so good on defense. I kept feeding Effort back. plays, baby. Yeah, yeah. Effort so, plays. Yeah, yeah, man. So it, it made the difference. But now I've learned to like, okay, the reaction that my parents had were, let's go nip this in the butt. Well, you know, we've, we've got a problem here. Okay, let's fix it. Yeah. This is and, not your and destiny. what do we have to do to make it happen? Yeah, it's not your destiny. It's not, we're not going to yell at the coach and go, it was all political. Yeah, right. We're not, you're not calling up the school board going, why is my son not playing? You're like, also, also, like the another, gym, like buddy. probably the more prevalent crappy reaction yeah right is go and and yell at the coach or go to the principal and say like why this is crazy and it's like man not the right message right right note son it's time to hit the gym yeah you're not entitled to this what skills are you lacking how can you get better so another impact this has is number seven the pressure to succeed increases performance anxiety and causes choking oh yeah so when a golfer misses a crucial easy putt, a bowler gutters that last ball, or a trained singer totally misses the power note at the end of the audition song, mm-hmm. it's because performance pressure caused them to choke. Yeah. And choking happens when the pressure to succeed, this is so huge, makes you overthink something your brain already knows how to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. So as a result, you add an unnecessary and this is in quotations, an unnecessary correction Mm. that throws your brain off and screws everything up. Yeah. Choking is embarrassing and incredibly frustrating, but it's also avoidable because it involves overthinking. Mm -hmm. And so number eight, a great way to overcome choking is to whistle or mutter. Mutter? Yeah, by whistling or muttering quietly while you're taking a shot, bowling, pitching, singing, whatever it is, and focusing on the task task itself, you're stealing just enough attentional resources from your brain to prevent it from overthinking and correcting something that doesn't require a correction. So it's like a little trick, right? You're just adding another little task in there of something that keeps you from thinking too much about what you just know how, what you have muscle memory to do essentially, right? While choking refers to automatic tasks like busy, those involved busy, in... Busy, 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 busy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was really nervous about the podcast. I don't know if it works for podcasting. <laughs> well, while choking refers to automatic tasks like those involved in sports or performance, other common fact, another common factor that causes failure is a lapse in willpower. Mm. 
And those typically occur not because the person lacks willpower, but because you need to understand how willpower operates. That brings us to number nine. All right. Willpower is like a muscle. It needs rest and glucose to function best. So this ties right in with your episode on sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Much like muscles can become fatigued when they're overused, when your willpower fails you, it is because it's overworked and undernourished. Mm -hmm. So our brains require glucose to operate, and when they don't have enough of it, our cognitive resources, like attention and concentration, our executive functioning, like planning and decision-making, and our willpower all begin to drop or fail. That's why crash diets always end up binging, right? They deplete mm -hmm. the person's willpower so severely that they lose all their self-control all at once and they eat everything in sight. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, just be aware of how much effort and willpower you're exerting during the day and make sure to rest, eat a little, and be ready to be more vigilant and revisit your motivations when you begin to feel your willpower fading. So just revisit why you're doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. And by taking control of your willpower, you're doing the one thing that is crucial to overcoming failure, which brings us to the last one, number 10 here. The psychologically healthiest response to failure is to focus on variables that are in your control. Mm -hmm. What does this make possible might be another way to explain that. Hey, right? There we go. That's right. Failure can make you feel demoralized, can make you feel helpless, can make you feel mm -hmm. hopeless, can make you feel anxious, both by the way, consciously and subconsciously or unconsciously, right? But you can fight back, break down the task or goal in question to those aspects that are in your control and those that are not in your control. Then go through the list of aspects that are not in your control and figure out how to take control of them. By improving your skill set, planning, relationships, knowledge, preparation, etc., etc. So focus solely on the aspects that are in your control. Feeling in control is a literal antidote to feelings of helplessness mm -hmm. and demoralization that will motivate you to try again and minimize your chances of another failure and increase your likelihood of success. So that's what my dad did with the basketball thing, right? Yeah. I felt helpless, demoralized, anxious, helpless, like I'm not good enough. I guess mm -hmm. I don't have the skill to do it. I don't like being told that I don't have the skill. I'm not good enough to be on the team, blah, blah, blah. Well, I can't control what the coach thinks, right? No. And you can't control who else is trying out, right? Exactly. There are only so many spots. That's right. What can you control? But what I can control is how I'm going to perform for the next audition that I have to do or the next tryout, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm going skill set. We were we we started playing a lot after school, right? Mm -hmm. Set up a basketball hoop in the in the driveway and started doing that. And then having like conscious not just playing basketball, but learning lessons. Yeah. I mean the first time my bat my dad was always like the physical basketball player. He was the guy that would play like in the the city league, yeah. the community league, and come home like every freaking Wednesday night from the armory in Whitewater with like a black eye <laughs> for, for cuts and stuff. And she's like, yeah. I thought you were playing basketball. I was, you know, like, this is like, but he's in there and he boxed me out when I was in eighth grade. He boxed me out. I go flying across the court, you know, <laughs> <laughs> rust his hips back into me, and I'm on my Bill butt. Bill Lambert over there. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's like, no, no, this is what we're doing. You got to get in there and fight for that space. Arms up, elbows out, take up space and make sure that you're the one that's going to get that ball. And so just going through these teaching moments and then starting to get better at the things that I was good at. Right. Mm-hmm. and trying to improve the things that I wasn't good at, right? Which is yeah. shooting, better shooting and stuff like that. I went to a basketball camp. And by the way, by doing those things, increases my confidence, right? So oh, it's, yeah. the, again, the antidote to feeling helpless. Okay, now at least I'm just, I'm doing something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I'm, I'm driving again. Mm-hmm. I'm driving. So I think just applying all that stuff to, artists to song pitches to oh yeah trying to get on a tour trying to get an opportunity for a deal and on a different level like how much you're gonna suck at digital marketing until you don't yeah Mm -hmm. how much you for all of those of you who say you know well i just suck at social media yeah you do well that's a situation that's not a destiny yeah that's completely within your power you know and and Mm -hmm. and and i think understanding in terms of digital with social media that you don't that's that's not it's just not acceptable yeah you have to be better at social media do you have to be a god or a goddess at social media no no but you know what you got to be consistent yeah and and then if you're taking on things like facebook ads and trying to an understanding that you need to get your art in front of new eyeballs to make people to get people turned on to it and that you're going to have to do that through some tool like Facebook ads, because you're mm-hmm. no matter how good you are, even if you are a God at social media, organic posting, that means you've maximized the algorithm to ensure that only instead of 99%, 97% of people have no idea what you did that day. Yeah. Jeez. That's the, that's the plain, cold, hard truth, but it's so and it sounds horrible and it doesn't sound like it's fair, but again, becoming a student of the game, man, it's such a good, you have so many ways to refine that audience and really reach the people and spend money and spend time mm-hmm. and all these resources that are so precious to you, reaching people that you absolutely know are going to be the most likely to respond to it. And then being able to repeat reaching out to people who you absolutely know already positively responded Mm -hmm. to it to the degree that you want them to. And so that you're spending money on the repetition with people that already liked it the first time. Yeah. Like these things like, man, does this sound confusing? Does it sound complicated? It's not, it's a little sophisticated, but it ain't as sophisticated as the circle of fifths or English (laughs) class. Like comb, tome, no tomb. Oh man. I mean, what, it makes you think of the sports thing. So I'm sorry, coach. I'm just not good at free throws. Yeah. That's why we practice free throws. Yeah. <laughs> but coach, I'm just not good at them. Also not acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we practice. You freaking moron. Get back on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the game. Yeah. Sorry, coach. I'm just not good at catching footballs, but you want to be a wide receiver. I know. Yeah. But maybe if you could <laughs> run out there and hand it to me. <laughs> If you could just not have the defense like hit me so hard, I would feel better. About Coach, every time I catch the ball, somebody hits me. <laughs> Part of the game, son. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So anyway, guys, so listen, mm. if you haven't done so already to help reframe your brain here, reset your mind on 
how the things you need to focus on on digital, which you need to be intuitive, you need to understand consciously that your natural reaction to promotion is going to more than likely be based on what would work on a broadcast platform and therefore will not be effective and in fact almost counter productive on digital. If you want to understand the nuance of that and begin to think about it at a higher level, then download the free PDF that I have. That's whoever owns the traffic rules the road. It's an extensive PDF, man. And it's got a lot of really, really good stuff in there that will just help you sort of untie the knot of broadcast. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do broadcast, but I'm saying it's a different animal and you have to approach that differently than digital. And too many people are conflating the two, including the music industry. Mm -hmm. So the people that you aspire to be or that you aspire to work with, they're making the same mistakes you are. And this document will help you. Just go to getfromjohnny.com. It's absolutely free. All you got to do is tell me where to send it and you will get it and no charge whatsoever help get you there. Okay. Awesome. That brings us to the end of another podcast episode on the climb. So make sure you join the climb community. Make sure you leave a rating and review. Make sure that you tell a friend about it. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top in spite of your failures. Yeah, it's another like 40 minute episode. I'm doing good. Yeah. Good better than my last one. <laughs> Failure. <laughs> How does that feel, Brett? <laughs> Felt a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.